Yeah, so in some sense, I was putting on my scholar hat there. Like, if I'm legitimate Hebrews, I need to at least acknowledge, hey, there's a debate here. But as a preacher, I I think the beauty of Hebrews is that without any of this background, we are forced even more strongly to depend upon the text and the text itself. And so that's that inhibits us in some ways to know we don't know all of the conversations behind this text, but all we have is the text. And I think that's a benefit. You can entertain what you're presented here and the possibility of what's going on in the background, but you don't have to be dependent upon it. Hey, everybody. Today on the show, we have two guests. The first is someone we've already heard from on the podcast before, Dr. Gerald Heestand, who is the co-founder of the CPT, as well as the senior pastor at Calvary Memorial Church just outside Chicago. The second is another one of our CPT fellows, Reverend Dr. Amy Peeler, who is a professor of New Testament at Wheaton College, as well as an associate rector at St. Mark's Episcopal Church in Geneva, Illinois. This is just a really great conversation on a whole host of topics, but specifically and primarily revolving around the book of Hebrews. Pastor Gerald has been working on a sermon series through the book of Hebrews at his church, and then Reverend Dr. Peeler is a Hebrew scholar who did her dissertation research on the book of Hebrews and is also involved weekly in local ministry in the local church in addition to her teaching at Wheaton College. Conversations like this one are really right at the heart of what we're trying to do with this show. We touch on biblical interpretation, preaching, rhetorical function of the text, lots more. We're really excited to share this conversation with you. So let's get right to it. Welcome to another edition of the Pastor Theologian Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Wilson. And today I have two very special guests with me. Reverend Dr. Amy Peeler, who is an associate professor of New Testament here at Wheaton College. And I say here because we are actually, we've invaded the Billy Graham Center, the fifth floor where we're recording the podcast today. So uh, that's pretty exciting. Our our first remote recording as it. Yes, yes. Taking it on the road. Uh, A good sign of things to come. Right, Zach? (laughs) Yes, And the voice you're hearing, of course, is uh, my co-host, Zach Wagner, the ever-present and faithful managing director of the CPT. And uh, with Amy Peeler is uh, Reverend Dr. Gerald Heastan, Senior Pastor of Calvary Memorial Church and uh, Partner in Crime at the Center for Pastor Theologians. And we are looking forward to the conversation today. And uh, what we're going to do today is talk uh, on this podcast about uh, the book of Hebrews and preaching. Um, Gerald is at Calvary preaching through the book of Hebrews right now. And uh, Amy Peeler is a, a scholar and expert in the book of Hebrews, and so, so we thought it would be fantastic to get the two of them in conversation. Uh, both CPT fellows, by the both way. Both CPT fellows, of course. Yeah, thank you for, for uh, mentioning that, Zach. So we're going to talk about the intersection of exegesis and theology and pastoral application. And uh, so we're looking forward to the conversation. Gerald and Amy, thank you for being on the show. Glad to be here. Excited for this. Yep. Give me a fun time. Amy, um, maybe as uh, we get going, you could just share a little bit about your background 
uh, with us, your, your theological training and education and your ordination and where you're serving now in ministry. Certainly. So I grew up in a Christian home in Oklahoma City, Baptist, Southern Baptist, born and raised and very thankful for that heritage. I went on to Oklahoma Baptist University where I started as a math major. That seems very odd <laughs> to me now. No, no, no knock against well. math, but um, <laughs> uh, very quickly discovered that I was more of humanities kind of person and ended up with a degree in biblical languages. Went straight on to Princeton Seminary and stayed there to do my PhD in New Testament, where I focused on the book of Hebrews, in particular, how God is portrayed as a father in this letter. Nice. And then ordination came later for me. It was the last year of my PhD that I started to think about possibilities of serving in the church in addition to the academy. And we had stumbled into an Episcopal church at that time, and that community enveloped me and began me on that journey. And I was ordained three years ago. Last week, actually, was my ordination anniversary, April 1st of 2016. And I presently serve at St. Mark's Church in Geneva as the associate rector. That's great. That's great. Uh, so t- t- I want I want to ask a bunch of follow up questions. We're gonna ha- I'm gonna have to be somewhat self controlled on this, Amy, because we do want to get to preaching and Hebrews and all the rest. Of it. But how did you go from being a Baptist yes. to an Episcopalian? Yes. yes. <laughs> and how did you, as a, if I can be candid, mm-hmm. as a woman, yeah. get interested in the fatherhood of God in the Book yes. of Hebrews? Yes. And so, so just reflect a little bit on that. Well, I love that question because that's, uh, well, I think it's kind of a journey that people are making in their <laughs> yeah. 20s and 30s, the move to the liturgical churches. Yes. So I'm not alone. Um, a short- was, that, was that what was part, partly behind it or a, a driver for it? Definitely interest in the tradition and the beauty yes. of liturgy. Yes. And again, I don't think we're unique in that, that people in this age bracket are, are moving in that direction. But a big piece of that story is that I'm married to a church musician. Yeah. And so he had been moving in this direction for quite some time. And then for the first time when he wasn't serving a church officially as an organist, we found this congregation that was actively involved in preaching the gospel and social ministry. And they happened to be liturgical and Episcopal. And when we walked in that first Sunday, we said, oh, this is what we've been looking for. So I think my heritage in the Baptist world being so grounded in scripture, I don't see it as you know, a total departure, but just for us, kind of a, a journey in a way of appreciating God's holiness in a different way. Mm-hmm. And it's been really rich. And now we raise our children in that tradition. Yeah. So what do you miss about your Baptist background, Amy? Maybe some of the hymns. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe so. Though, because now my husband is the organist at our church, he he will have some kind of postlude on Just As I Am. I was just going to say, know, he can play happen. Just As I Am. Yeah. Some Fanny Crosby <laughs> into the... Uh... Exactly, exactly. Oh, I, but I, I would have maybe said an altar call, but yeah. I've come to see that we have an altar call every week. Yes. Uh, that place of grace is extended each That's week. Great. So. And how did you get to Princeton? And why a Princeton? colleague in front of me at OBU who graduated a year early had gone there and he came back and said, this place is amazing. You should check it out. And then my dean of students had recently graduated from uh, the University of Pennsylvania. And so he encouraged me to not just look at the Baptist schools, but schools like Duke, Emory, Princeton to consider kind of a breadth of possibility there. And then when my husband and I visited, we thought it would be a very good fit for myself. And then he did a master's at Westminster Choir College there in town. So 
that made sense for us. So you're at Princeton, and how did you stumble into Hebrews and the fatherhood of God yes. as the theme within Hebrews? How Hebrews and then how the fatherhood of God right. in Hebrews? I think I first became attracted, or I don't think that's the right word. I was scared to death of Hebrews yes. as a sophomore <laughs> in high school. Okay. I was a very spiritually sensitive kind of youth, and so when I read the warning passage, yes. Hebrews 10, 26 through 31, I thought, <laughs> oh, I went and saw that movie that was probably distasteful. I think I just lost my salvation. I think I just lost that's my it. salvation. That's it. Exactly. Done. Game over. Exactly. And and now I can say that with some kind of levity, but that was a very no joke, a crisis yeah. Yeah. for me at that point. And so that was one way in which I was exercising exegetical muscles. What yes. does this really mean? I worked through that with the help of a wonderful youth pastor and good teachers at my Christian high school. But that was a point at which I didn't want to let go of Hebrews because I knew there was a power there, a richness uh. that I wanted to explore. In my doctoral work, I knew I was a letters person more than a gospels person. I like Jesus. I love Jesus. In fact. But still, still do. Still, still do. actually, it is true. But I loved Paul and I really loved the epistles. And of course, in New Testament studies, as many of you know, that's kind of the trajectory. Are mm-hmm. you going to do Jesus or Paul? Did Paul write Hebrews, by the way? I don't think so okay, at all. Okay, never mind. Sorry, no, I don't mean to digress. I just had we to. can get there, but um, and so in and Paul is very crowded, and there's lots of very bright, <laughs> yes. what, amazing right. people in Paul. And I was taking a class on Greco-Roman rhetoric, and I was struck at how the author. We know almost nothing about the author. We don't mm. know his ethos, his character, but he does put for, put forth God to speak. God speaks the scriptures in yes. Hebrews, and therefore conveys the character of God through these spoken texts. And that was the seed of my dissertation. And then, of course, because the first thing that God says in this letter is, you are my son, today I've begotten you. The first character that we're presented of God is God's character as a father. So that encouraged me to trace that theme throughout the letter. And I came to believe that it's not just mentioned the two times at the beginning and end when we have the word father, but is really integral to the structure of the letter as a whole. Marvelous, marvelous. And talk, talk to us just a little bit. I'm sure you could you could elaborate at length, but talk to us about your you, going from PhD student to scholar, academic, ordained minister, and and how that impacts your sense of identity. Mm. Are you an academic? Are you a scholar? Are you a pastor? Are you a pastor theologian? How do you how do you understand your identity? That is a wonderful question. I think at base, I aim to see myself as a servant of Jesus Christ. Who that's has a good been answer. Given, right? I mean, and I know that's kind of the Sunday school answer. No, Jesus. that's a good answer. Um, but who has been given the gift of teaching. And that even, yeah. I tremble to say it because it's bold to claim a giftedness for yourself. But I think I'm old enough now that I can do so with assurance and not pride. Mm-hmm. And so I use that gift of teaching in the academy and in the church, but I see my, all of my ministry. And I think what I do in the hallways here of the fifth Mm -hmm. floor of the BGC is ministry is really seated in coming out of the church. And so I serve from the location of the church, the academy. Now, five days a week, I'm here and two days a week, I'm at church. And so the, the weightedness of it is interesting, but on a identity level, Jesus is the foundation and then his body, the church, is where I am primary located. Mm. That's where I've been given my mandate for service. That's great. That's great. Gerald, I want to bring you in uh, to the conversation. Um, Amy talked about being intimidated by the book of Hebrews as a young person. And I think we all resonate with that, of (laughs) course. Um, 
the the moral rigor of the book of Hebrews, but also uh, she has her Greek text open, and I think we all know Hebrews is a is a tough slog, and it's a complicated book, and the theology is interesting. How have you found? I mean, your expertise and scholarly background is in Irenaeus and patristics. How have you found uh, as a preacher getting into the book of Hebrews and and just sort of diving in and getting yourself equipped to preach from it? Has that, has that been a little overwhelming, like jumping into the deep end of the pool? What would you say about that? Well, that's a good question. I, I think the thing that I've, um, I think the area that I found most challenging about Hebrews is figuring out, I mean, there are challenges in the book itself about like, what does this mean and what is the mm-hmm, author trying to mm-hmm. do? But I, I found the greatest challenge is in preaching it. Mm-hmm. I've taught through it in various contexts with adult ed classes three different times. And so when I thought, okay, I'm going to preach through Hebrews, I understand the the content. I know what I'm doing with the text. I think I know what the author is doing with the text. But that first Sunday I had to preach Jesus is better than the angels. I realized like, what, (laughs) what is the pastoral point here? Like I understand what that meant to the original audience, but trying to figure out what that meant to my congregation. I mean, that's, that's, um, that was a challenge. And, and I have, I've wrestled through that then, uh, we're up to the end of basically the end of chapter four at this point, uh, in our sermon series, but, but, you know, Jesus better being better than the angels being better than Moses. I mean, none of my congregation is looking to apostatize to Judaism, no. right? So right off from that to altar call at the end yeah, of that right service. There. So, so it's, it's, it's trying to figure out how to take the message of Hebrews, which is so contextually situated in a specific context uh, and, and bridge the gap. Like Ephesians 2, for instance, you know, you, you can kind of just take that, you know, pick it up and preach it straight almost to any audience. But Hebrews 2, right, that's a little bit of a different challenge. So I would say the, um, the challenge has been the, on the pre, like the homiletical side of it. And cultural relevance of it. Is that, is that the, is that the way to think yeah, about it? Is that the way you've been thinking about Cultural relevance or maybe even just pastoral relevance. Pastoral I mean, the, the context of, of Hebrews, of course, is a, a group of, of Jewish converts who are thinking about going back to Judaism, right? So you don't, my congregation is, are not Jewish converts mm-hmm. and they're not thinking about going back to Judaism. So like their apostasy or potential apostasy in my church is going to look they're going to apostatize to a different mm-hmm. place. They started from a different place. They're going back to a different place, right? So mm-hmm. the arguments that the author in Hebrews is using to prevent apostasy mm-hmm. uh, are just not the arguments that I don't would have go the same to. Traction. Right? You come up to me and you're like, I'm thinking about leaving the faith. And I'm like, but have you heard don't of do angels? it. Don't do it. Jesus <laughs> is better than angels. Right? Right. And they're like, oh yeah, well, that's so helpful. I'm staying, you know? Hey everybody, just a quick note about a new giveaway that we're currently sponsoring here at the Center for Pastor Theologians. We're partnering with InterVarsity Press to give away a complete 46-volume set of the new Studies in Biblical Theology series, which is a phenomenal series that seeks to help Christian leaders, scholars, pastors understand the Bible better by exploring key issues in biblical theology. 
The series is edited by D.A. Carson, and it aims to instruct, edify, and interact with current biblical scholarship. This would be just a phenomenal addition to any pastor theologian's research library. And honestly, I'm a little sad that I'm ineligible to enter the giveaway because I work here. Uh, Anyway, if you would like to enter the giveaway, all you have to do is go to pastortheologians.com slash giveaway and enter your name and email in the form on that page. Once you do that, you can also head over to our Twitter and Facebook pages where we announce the giveaway and retweet, share, or tag friends in the posts that we put on there announcing this giveaway of the New Studies in Biblical Theology. Any interaction with the giveaway posts on social media will count as bonus entries when we do the drawing for the prize a little later this year. Once again, the address to sign up for this giveaway is pastortheologians.com slash giveaway. All right, let's get right back into our conversation with Amy Peeler and Gerald Heestand on the interpretation of the book of Hebrews, as well as preaching in the local church. Amy, is that the way you understand the, the background or, or, or what, what might you kind of, what, what would you want to add to what he just said right. that, that, that we should understand as preachers of the book of Hebrews? Yeah, that's a, that definitely is a dominant possibility for this background, but that's quite debated in Hebrew scholarship, as you know, of course, right? It was interesting to me in a panel I was on maybe just two years ago, people kind of asking the basic questions about background, which our reader, our listeners will understand that I just started teaching Hebrews yesterday in class. And I said, here's what we know about the background of Hebrews. Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing. And that is a lot of fun to investigate who wrote it and when, where, why. So that has become while Judaism as the background was a dominant focus for a long time on this panel I was on two years ago, everyone to a point said, actually, I'm really kind of leaning toward the Gentile background oh, is that here. Right? Yeah. And it's it's located in the place of um, the instruction that he's giving them in five and six. What have they come out of and what are they going to? So it's definitely the instance in which this these listeners would have had to been acquainted with the scriptures of Israel and the cult system. So they would have had to have some kind of preparation, but that's very open. How relevant is is well, that for preaching? and that's a preaching? wonderful question, yes. And I mean, as, I don't mean no. that rhetorically, I just mean as like a legitimate, genuine question. How relevant yes. is that? I mean, is it your view, Amy, that unless you are clear on that mm-hmm. question of historical context and situation or have a theory about it, you're you're not going to be able to preach Hebrews effectively? No, not or at can all. you separate those? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do believe you can. How, how does that work? Yeah, so in some sense, I was putting on my scholar hat there. Like right, if I'm legitimate right. Hebrews, I need to at least acknowledge, hey, yeah. there's a debate here. But as a preacher, I, I think the beauty of Hebrews is that without any of this background, we are forced even more strongly to depend upon the text and the text itself. Yes. And so that's that inhibits us in some ways to know we don't know all of the conversations behind this text, but all we have is the text. And I think that's a benefit. And so you can entertain what you're presented here and the possibilities of what's going on in the background, but you don't have to be dependent upon it. Uh So I say to my students, I am not um, I, I'm not bothered by the authorship question or the date question. I can kind of switch back and forth and the ethnic background. Um, but I'm confident that these people did know Jesus and now they are struggling in their faith. So I really hear your question yeah. about apostasy. You're not going to be talking about don't go back to Judaism. But as I've reflected on Hebrews, and I really appreciate the questions that you sent to me today to prepare for our time, 
I really think the issue is they're wondering if God is faithful. And so the call is there. The one who is promised is faithful. And it's because of their situation of persecution, their goods being taken, Mm. some of them in prison, facing possible death. They're wondering, is God trustworthy in these struggles? Can we really trust that he's going to bring the promises that he's given to fruition? And so while understanding Judaism, or maybe even if they're Gentile converts, that all could be helpful and illuminative. And in some verses, you're going to have to go into that background. If I were to preach this consistently, I think I would turn to that point to say, these people are wondering in face of all of the bad that they experience, is God still present or not? And maybe for me, that's because chapter 12 has been such an important piece of my thinking about Hebrews because that's- Is that where you go kind of the hermeneutical key? I don't know if you'd be comfortable with that sort of language, but is that mm. that a way you think about it? Hebrews 12 is the- the, I do the think it's the rhetorical high point yeah. as they get to Mount Zion. And I think then the place in which the author is saying, God is treating you as a father. And so what you're going through is a sign of God's good discipline to bring you to maturity. Now, admittedly, that was my focus. And so mm-hmm. I, I would be You have that hammer. You see those nails everywhere. <laughs> you're exactly right. So <laughs> Hebrews, I think at the end of the day, the focus is that Jesus is priest. And that is the contribution this author is making to, I think, a very similar Pauline. I think he is friends with Paul and is building on yeah. Pauline soteriology, but saying, let's think about the cult. I think that's the center. But I think theologically, he is doing that to say, God is faithful in how he's dealt with sin and how he's been faithful to the promises to the son. And so there and to the generations of Israel. And so you can trust he's going to be faithful to the promises he's made to you. Okay. So when I when I keep listening to Gerald preaching over the next couple of weeks, I have a feeling I'm going to hear some more faithfulness of God in, <laughs> in his sermons. Yeah, and I like that a lot. I think the only thing I would add to it is like God is faithful. Um, and this is what you're saying, I think, but God is faithful to make good on his promise. Yes. Right. So it's there is a promise that's been made, yes. a reward that's being held out that is that is good and it's, you know, a glorious reward. And God is, God's going to make good on it. Mm -hmm. That's something that I've been saying like in Mm -hmm. the sermon series, right? That God will make good on his word, right? right? And so faith is taking God at his word that he's going to be, he's he's good for it, Mm -hmm. right? Yes, I think the faithfulness of God that I I resonate with that a lot. Gerald, you mentioned some of the exegetical challenges early on, uh, as in early on in your preaching through the book of Hebrews that you're doing right now. Kind of a question for both of you, what are other or... Amy, in your view, sort of key exegetical challenges. So kind of get us into the the weeds a little bit in Hebrews exegesis um, uh, as we think about preaching. What are the the things that uh, a preacher listening to this podcast who um, wants to be inspired to preach in the book of Hebrews, what landmines should that person be aware of? <laughs> well, I mean, I think, and Amy, I'm, I'm very interested to hear your thoughts on this, but I think the warning passages, oh. d- particularly dependent on one's... Um, on one's background, right? Precisely. So if you're coming from mm-hmm. an Armenian background, you're like, oh yeah, warning passages. Is, you know, <laughs> Delicious. Sounds about right. <laughs> sounds about right. That's, of course you can lose your salvation. I knew no. that was biblical. <laughs> coming, coming, depending on, on what background you're coming from, that would have a strong doctrine of either perseverance or eternal security. Um, those become challenging passages to exegete. And then having exegeted them, figuring out how to preach them, right, is a different deal too. So I'm, I mean, I, I'm not the host here, but I'm curious to hear how you would host away. Do you, do you have a general 
frame for how you handle the warning passages. And even to underscore, Amy, what you said a little earlier, the like chapter six and, and et cetera, it's the stuff of teenage, you know, youth group anxiety for sure. Like, so, so when you said that you had that experience as a young person, I was like, sounds pretty similar to, I think what a, a lot of people go through when they first get meaningfully exposed mm-hmm. to this letter. And so. can I chime in and stack one more question on top of this yes. building question for, for Amy, for you, which is just zooming out a little bit. Um, do we make too much of the, of the warning passages mm-hmm. in the book of Hebrews? That seems to be all the attention. And I wonder if that's is that fair? because of the kind of theological issues, mm-hmm. soteriological questions to Gerald's point, a, as it were, straight reading of the book of Hebrews mm-hmm. and a close exegesis, are, are we making too much of that? Are there other things that are actually more pertinent exegetically? Maybe just as difficult or more difficult, but mm-hmm. or, or is it about, is it right that we make a lot of the warning passages? I think they are incredibly weighty. I mean, the rhetorical power of these, it's no accident that for hundreds of years or thousands mm, maybe mm-hmm. people have come to these passages in great fear. I mean, these mm-hmm. were in some of the early debates of the church texts that were turned to to say what do we do with those who have apostatized and want to come back? So this is not a new kind yes, of modern let's investigate our feelings kind of question. These arrest people because the rhetoric is so powerful here. Yeah. Interestingly, I'm reading a book right now called Inventing Hebrews that's focused on the rhetorical argument, but these authors are saying that the exhortation towards perseverance is the the key and the center. And so they lift up the warning passage to say, this is what the author wants the the people to pay attention to. Now that is undergirded or supported by this beautiful and powerful Christology that is laid out here, embedded in Jesus's relationship with the Father. And I would also say the Holy Spirit as well. But that's what gets people's attention. So I don't think we've made too much Mm -hmm. uh, because when we read through it, this is what is remind mm-hmm. it sticks with people and yes. i always like to say but think about those passages as well that are incredibly comforting um you are being sanctified you're he's advocating for you you can go to a priest who sympathizes with you so there's this beautiful balance of emotions mm-hmm. here and again unsurprising for a rhetorician that there's a lot of pathos here mm-hmm. in this letter mm-hmm. so Ge- gerald you ask generally how do i attack these if I were preaching through it, that's a little bit more challenging because mm. in a in a setting of a, a an adult ed class, you can kind of get them to read the the text and see what's going on. In preaching, you have to be, be a bit more artful in doing that. But I do ask them to pay attention to what kind of sin is he talking about here in six, ten, and twelve. Um, twelve being the story of Esau that I think is one of the most challenging, even though he sought repentance with tears, he could yes. not find it. So that even sounds yeah. like someone yeah. that wants to come that's, back that's, and do that. Yeah. Um, really distresses the soul. Really, really hard. I think there's a climax in, in the rhetoric there. Um, so I get them to pay attention to, it's not just I gossiped or I forgot my quiet yeah. time. And again, maybe I'm starting with a teenage experience because that was my own. But I do think even adults may say, wow, if I'm kind of struggling in my faith, what is this saying? It's not that. It is this high-handed, shaming, rejecting. I call attention to the public element that this would have been for this oh, community. Yeah. If you walk away, that's not just in my mind I've changed you know, something very privately, but you would bring shame upon this community. I think yeah. David De Silva's work on honor and shame in Hebrews is very helpful 
people to call attention. So this is apostasy. It is full rejection. It is walking away. Yeah, as I, I think that's I said, it's, it's not falling down, it's falling away. Right. right? Oh, yeah. that's, that's good. That's yes. To crucify again for yourselves the Son of God. That's it would great. be like you're, you're saying whatever you have done that this author is saying is sufficient for once and for all. It's not good enough and I'm going to turn away mm. from it. It's that kind of rejection. I also call attention to that as he goes through the intensity of his, these warnings, in each instance, he comes back to the audience and says, but I'm not talking yeah. about you. I hope for better things concerning exactly, you. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Your salvation. And even in 12, when you get this presentation of Esau, then as you move to the Mount Zion passage, they not only have come to Mount Zion, they are to, at the gathering of the Prototokia, the firstborn ones. Yeah. Esau rejected his status as the firstborn, but they're brought into it. Marvelous. So I like to emphasize that these are warnings. This is not dogma doctrine for someone that's already walked away. This is the author saying, if you turn away from this, I cannot guarantee that there is there is, in fact, no other salvation. And yes. at some level, that makes good sense, right? We would all say that. If someone rejects God's um, avenue of approach through Jesus Christ, the cross and resurrection, there is nothing else for mm. you. Uh, the problem comes is that we want to ask the next question, what do we do if someone wants to come back? And I don't think that's the question that this author is posing. And that's helpful to see. And so what we get from Hebrews is a voice from the text that says, don't presume upon the grace of God. Mm. The grace of God, I sometimes say to my students, is not a revolving door. Oh, I'm going to come. Oh, and now I want to leave. Oh, surely I'll be able to come back. God will take me back later. Exactly. It is to say, especially with the eschatological focus, if they are moving, if they're in the end of days and they're moving to Christ's awaited return, I think there's also an element here. If you walk away, then he might return and it is appointed for humans once to die and then to face the judgment. You might not have another opportunity of coming back. So it's not yet happened to them. He wants to present to them if they are lax in their faith, as it says in chapter five, you need to awaken to what you hold and there is no guarantee that you could just come in and out. Now, the harder question is theologically then, what do we do with people who have walked away and want to come back. Well, the church has decided based on other canonical text that there is a place for repentance and penance and a return. Uh, and Hebrews is not the only ver- voice, but is an important voice to say if people are getting a little bit loose, this calls them attention, that the beauty and the superiority of Christ you cannot treat lightly. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to part one of our conversation with Amy Peeler and Gerald Heastand. We'll have the second half of the conversation next week on the show, so be sure to tune in to that as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of the CPT Podcast, a theology podcast for the church. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider throwing us a like, sharing the podcast online, subscribing, leaving a review. Uh, Anything like that would go a long way towards helping other people hear about the podcast. Uh, The CPT Podcast is a ministry of the Center for Pastor Theologians. You can learn more about the CPT by visiting us at pastortheologians.com. You can also find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Our host for today's episode was Todd Wilson. Our producer and editor was Trenton Jones. Our music was composed by Andrew Gerlicher. I'm Zach Wagner. Thanks for listening.